This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Sarah Reardon to the show. Dr. Sarah Reardon is a women's health physical therapist specializing in the treatment of pelvic floor disorders. That includes things like painful sex, discomfort during pregnancy, and in the postpartum period. She's the founder of The Vagina Whisperer, an online resource for pelvic health education. During this episode, Dr. Sarah and I will be discussing sex after baby. We'll dive into topics such as whether people are really ready to have sex at six weeks postpartum, whether sex should hurt after baby or not. And we'll also discuss different remedies for pain during sex, such as scar tissue, tearing, C-section scars, and other common issues that moms face during physical intimacy after baby. This is one of those postpartum topics that can seem really taboo, often shameful that many moms don't talk about. But it is so common for women to deal with some level of anxiety or pain in regards to sex after baby. We want to lift that curtain for you and get some answers today. So I hope you'll get comfortable and listen in on my conversation with Dr. Sarah. Did someone order a village? Were you promised a village before baby and found yourself in the postpartum period and nobody showed up? That is the situation that so many have found themselves in. And that is the exact reason why Dr. Ashari Nareem, Psyched Mommy, and I created Mom Freely Together. Mom Freely Together is a community where we can get together socially and grow together on our motherhood journeys. There are some really exciting bonuses that go through Mom Freely Together. And for those who don't know, one of the main bonuses are backstage access to podcast guests. You heard that right. Being able to tune in live behind the scenes with the experts that I bring on the podcast, followed by a live Q&A to get your personal questions answered. If you'd love to interact with guests live behind the scenes and you want to be a part of building a village together, head to happyasamother.co slash together to learn more. That's happyasamother.co slash together. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Sarah, thank you so much for joining the Happy as a Mother podcast. I know that you and I have been trying to connect for, I want to say like a year we've gone back and forth and had a bit of an Instagram relationship over, you know, time and navigating this crazy Instagram world. So it's nice to finally be air quote face to face with you. So thanks for making the time to be with us. Thank you so much. You know, I think we originally connected a year ago when we were about to start the pandemic and 
my kiddos were home and I was like, whoa, I am drowning right now. So I am so glad that the clouds are parting and we are coming out of hiding and we're able to, you know, just make space to have these really wonderful conversations. As we're recording this today, like as we speak, Canada or Ontario, I should say, is coming out of its like months long lockdown. And so there's all of these reels and TikToks being posted of people like camping out in chairs outside of retail stores because we can only buy like food essentials in stores right now. I can't even get my kids like sandals for summer. So everyone is really excited. It's a really exciting day here in Ontario as the numbers continue to go down. Vaccinations are up and hopefully we're going to get some, you know, normal sea of life this summer. So we'll see. No, good. That's that's so great to hear. Okay, so many topics that I wanted to pick your brain about, and we were going back and forth about it. And one of the things that comes up in these polls that I do every weekend in my stories, and I always tag you in them and we go back and forth, is like lack of desire after baby, lack of sexual desire and intimacy. And then also like, is it bad that we're not having sex yet? It's three months postpartum, it's four months postpartum. And this is just a really big conversation that I think is really best had between you and I together, somebody who can speak to maybe the desire issues from my part and some of the mental health stuff, and then from your sort of physical recovery part, because there are so many moving pieces in this conversation, I feel like. And I'm sure you get this a lot in your practice as well. It's probably a big time when people come into you in the postpartum period is resuming intimacy. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I feel pretty comfortable saying it, it's a universal issue. I mean, I think not just physical recovery, with respect to recovering from a vaginal birth or cesarean birth and returning to intercourse, but also just from such an emotional, psychological perspective. I mean, I think you and I probably have our own experiences as mothers. I mean, I feel like I've walked this path and I'm still walking that path with respect to desire and intimacy and body image and all of these factors. So it is, I always say things are like pieces, it's like a puzzle. And there's all these pieces that we kind of have to figure out how do we fit these puzzle pieces together And it's really just finding out what are the pieces we need to kind of bring in. Yeah. I think a big question or myth or misconception even is, okay, I have had my six-week appointment and I am healed. I'm recovered, you know? And so I feel like there's so many pieces we're going to dive into in that. But actually, I just have to pause for a second and ask, how did you come to specialize in pelvic floor physio. Out of all sort of the branches of physio, I admire your work and like I'm eager to jump right into it because I feel like I know you and I know a bit of your story and I follow you. But for those who don't know you, how did you end up specializing in this field? So I am a physical therapist by practice. I went to graduate school and got a doctorate in physical therapy. And with that, you can practice in any field. I originally thought I was going to be a sports physical therapist and work for the New Orleans Saints. I was a runner. I swam. And I just was really into being active. But Mm. over the course of graduate school, we had a professor who was also, back then it was called a women's health physical therapist. Now we call it a pelvic health because we see all genders. But I really found it fascinating to just learn more about my body. And it was kind of a light bulb went off that's like, oh, these are muscles and these are muscles like any other part of our body, but we don't talk about them. And if we have problems with them, people don't even know that we're there to help them. And you know, everything from, you know, urinary leakage to sexual intimacy to taking poops, you know, and um, people experiencing pain. So just really intimate areas of people's lives that can affect their quality of life. 
And then I did a residency in that and did some training postgraduate and got my board certification. So after I graduated, I started taking much more continuing education. And it's all that I've done. I've only done pelvic floor physical therapy for almost 15 years. And if you ask me about your shoulder, your ankle, I cannot help you. But (laughs) anything about your (laughs) pelvic floor and I'm your girl. (laughs) I love it. Anything, I say vagina, but pelvic floor is a lot more than that. But yes, anything sort of vagina related. And I think that a lot of people don't realize, and and I've discovered in these Q&As that I do, how much postpartum things like gas that we can't control or incontinence, um, even when, you know, like pee or or even stool incontinence, all these different pieces in the postpartum and our recovery can be related to pelvic health. And I think the reason why we're here talking about the sex piece today is because that's a very ongoing prevalent one. And I'm sure that there are numerous others and prolapse and scar tissue and all different types of recovery. Is there like a most common thing that you would say that bring people into you in the postpartum period or is it quite a range? It's definitely a range. I mean, it's everything, as you mentioned, from tailbone pain to abdominal wall separation to cesarean scar restriction. But I do think the two most common ones are urinary leakage and painful sex. And, you know, if we think about this, of course we are going to have changes to our body and our pelvic floor, not just during childbirth, but during pregnancy. I mean, these muscles, I always describe them like they're a hammock that helps support a growing fetus. Well, when you have a lime or a lemon in a hammock, it's not going to change that much. But if you put a watermelon in a hammock, we see that hammock stretch out and get lengthened. And that's just what happens during pregnancy and then going through birth and then postpartum recovery. So, you know, I think one of the reasons I specialize so much or focus so much on pregnancy and postpartum is because it's such a huge transformation in our bodies. And I know at least in the United States, there is such little proactive care that we're giving moms. There's such little postpartum, if any, care that we're giving moms. And I feel like there's so much more we can do to help empower and inform mothers about, hey, these are some things that you can do to help. And if you experience these problems, this is who you see to help, you know, rehabilitate. Yeah. You're talking about the watermelon in the hammock. And I'm thinking about my third pregnancy. I had three children back to back about a year, year and a half between them. Well, like 18 months between them and 22 months. But the time that I was pregnant in between was much shorter than that. Right. And by the time I got to my third pregnancy, The things like the incontinence, like later on with the sneezes and the coughs or things like, is it like that pubic, I don't know, where the bone would like separate or rub? Oh my gosh, I could have like died every time that happened. I could not like- So painful. Couldn't lift my legs to get in and out of the car or go up the stairs. Like it was incredibly painful. So we navigate these changes in our body. Baby comes out, whether vaginally, C-section, however- And then we're here to factor in adjusting to motherhood, which is a huge, well, first time or, you know, adding multiples, there's still a massive adjustment that happens regardless of what baby, you know, or stage in motherhood we're in. And then we're considering, you know, how do we keep our relationship going and that flame going? And there's so many pieces to talk about here. So I love the work that you do. I love your page. It's so informative. And and we'll link all of your stuff so people can find you because I've learned so much So when we do talk about this being cleared for sex in the postpartum period, I hear this from moms, you know, my scar or my stitches are gone or my scar is healed or whatever this looks like. 
am I cleared for sex now? Should I be ready to have sex is a big question. I'm just going to go out on a really long limb here and say six weeks means nothing. (laughs) I don't know. This is such an arbitrary number of time period of healing. And what I would say is that six weeks is a great time to check in with your medical provider. And I would encourage every postpartum mother to check in with a pelvic floor physical therapist. I've seen mothers in my clinic who they're cleared and they still have stitches that are healing. They still have a lot of pain and discomfort. And we feel this pressure to like, oh, I've got to get back to working out. I'm six weeks. I'm cleared. I've got to get back to having sex. I'm six weeks. I'm cleared. But what if we made that eight weeks or 12 weeks and somebody said, you can't do anything sexually for 12 weeks to promote healing. We would probably follow that guideline. So I think it doesn't mean a whole lot. What I do think it means is it's okay to start. It's okay to check in with a pelvic floor physical therapist. It's okay to try. But there was some research I was just reading the other day that nine out of 10 mothers have pain the first time they have sex after intercourse. Hmm. And somebody asked me, how much pain is normal? And I said, no amount of pain is normal. Hmm. Pain really gives us information about our bodies. So pain is a signal that something's not right. I have muscle tension. I have scar tissue that may be healing. I maybe have vaginal dryness from breastfeeding or lactating. So there's a lot of, again, puzzle pieces that we really want to put together. And I think, what if we educated moms on, let's start with some scar tissue mobilization if you've had an episiotomy or a tear. Let's proactively use a water-soluble lubricant and maybe a vaginal moisturizer if you are breastfeeding or lactating. Let's start with some gentle stretches and breathing to help relax the pelvic floor muscles Mm -hmm. and minimize tension. So there's a lot of things I think we can do to help get moms ready to go back to having intercourse instead of just giving them a thumbs up and sending them on their way. Totally. You touched on a really important piece here. Just because we may or may not be ready at six weeks, depending on the person and their delivery, I was very fortunate to not have any tears with either of my deliveries, which I was not expecting. And so my recovery from that sense was really sort of seamless. Although I'm pretty sure I was still like bleeding at six weeks, friends, like who who's really, you know, maybe some are, but I was not ready. And so, so I think that the being physically ready and the being mentally ready are two different things. And so when we think about female or we think about mom or we think about like, I'm going to say female arousal just for the purpose of this, but I know that, you know, um, that can vary. Our arousal system is different than a male arousal system in the sense that it's much more psychological, much more emotional, and the barriers to intimacy look different than, let's say, our partners do. Especially like if we're talking, you know, birthing person here with recovery, with being touched out, being overstimulated, sensory overload. If we're nursing, maybe leaky boobs, maybe cracked nipples, all of these things play a role in our actual desire for intimacy. 100%. And so there's a difference. I think it's really important to kind of touch on from the onset that sexual dysfunction, as in like the not able to have sex, painful sex, um, not able to be aroused sort of physiological challenges are different than the psychological and emotional desire challenges. And maybe they overlap. I'm sure that they can. So if we're not having a desire, 
then that's something for us to explore. At six weeks, are you getting any sleep? Are you touched out? Are you still bleeding? There's so many reasons why you might not be thinking about sex and the frequency at which you think about sexual intimacy might be lower because you've been thrown into this massive transition. And that's okay. Asherina, Psyched Mommy, and I actually have a lengthy workshop on this topic. It's a two-part relationship series, and one is all about intimacy after baby and adjusting to that and what that looks like. And so if emotionally you are not ready, that is okay. And there's lots of things that we can do to get ready, but it also doesn't have to be a race to that either. So to your point, I mean, it's I love that you're bringing this up because I even think from a physical perspective, say yourself, I didn't have any, I was fortunate to have really wonderful births with no perineal tearing as well. And so physically, I was okay from a pelvic floor perspective, but emotionally and psychologically, there were so many I want to say not even speed bumps, but just straight up roadblocks as to why I did not even attempt intercourse until 12 weeks after my second child. You know, there is a connection there with respect to if something is painful or even physically, if your body is kind of tapped out, overloaded, exhausted, that's going to minimize your desire for anything. And you're not going to necessarily feel desirable. Additionally, you know, our hormones play a big role in sexual desire. And so when you are breastfeeding and lactating, your estrogen levels are very low. And because the hormone that helps stimulate milk production works opposite or inversely with estrogen. So if you have really low estrogen, you also can have really low desire. And so I think oftentimes when we just kind of explain this to mothers and say, hey, these are some physiological reasons you may be feeling this way. These are some emotional and psychological reasons and almost giving them permission to take the pressure off to say, okay, this can be a gradual return. You don't have to just jump back in the sack. And if you don't enjoy it, then you kind of start to feel guilty like something's wrong, you know, that we should want to be ready for So I think a lot of it is giving ourselves permission to heal in various aspects and also understanding the relationships between physical, hormonal, psychological, emotional. Yeah. And to your point, like my kids were in the room until at least 12 weeks postpartum, I think, like in a bassinet attached literally like tethered to the side of my bed. And so even if there was an attempt, baby would wake up crying and it's like, well, like, why did we even try? Like, this is just, you know, so there's so many pieces to it. And if, let's say, we're not getting aroused or there is dryness and discomfort there, maybe it is something like a reframe in our mind. Like, I know I am breastfeeding. I know that this impacts lubricant and vaginal dryness because of like the hormonal changes. So with some lubricant for right now while I'm breastfeeding and we can like reframe it and understand it differently, knowing that this isn't going to be how it always is. And I think this is a trap that we fall into in the postpartum period is like we want to have the intimate relationship we had with our partner before baby came and like we think that the frequency should be the same or how we get intimate or enter into intimacy should look the same. And so we're kind of like comparing how it was to now how it is. And this is a big piece that we speak to again in our workshops is that as much as we as a person go through a shift as we enter into motherhood and our identity, our relationship goes through a significant shift as well. And it's not like you have an entire weekend to lay in bed and have foreplay and get aroused and gradually wean yourself into some sort of like sexual intimacy or intercourse, right? 
it is a different ball game when you've got all these kids you're juggling or baby beside you in the bed. And what can that look like now? Right? Like totally. What, how can that look different? What does that look like now? And maybe it does involve more lube or partner getting involved in some of the techniques that we can talk about or stretches or massages or things like that to help ease us into it differently. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you mentioned that. And and I think one thing is also that there's a spectrum. I work with mothers all day, women all day. And I ask them like, what's your frequency of intercourse? And you know, what are the reasons that you may not be having? And it could be partner reasons. It could be personal reasons. It could be trauma reasons, but there's a spectrum. And sometimes we hear about friends who may have sex three times a week after having a kid. And sometimes there are mothers who have sex three times a year. And so I think also recognizing that there is kind of no quote unquote normal amount to have, that everybody's spectrum is different, a range is different. I think, again, that just gives us permission to kind of stay in our range. And sometimes that may change. And, And to your point, everything changes after having a family. I mean, your relationship as well. And we go through seasons. And sometimes that early postpartum season, the return to intercourse can be a really wonderful, magical connecting part. But then there are also times where you have to find that connection in other ways because that intimacy just isn't there in the same way. Yeah. So it's, again, just seasons I think we go through. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. 
Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. To think about things that impact our desire, you highlighted trauma birth trauma or other physical or, you know, other forms of trauma, lack of connection or distrust in the relationship, conflict, how our body is healing, medications, if we're on medications in the postpartum period, hormones play a role. So there are lots of factors in our desire that play a role. And so let's go off of the assumption that, okay, I'm feeling ready I want to be intimate with my partner and I'm anxious. Maybe it's the first time. And I've also had some pain and some discomfort. How might we go forward in that way? So I think when we recognize some of the logistical things, I think as you are aroused, then you create natural lubrication in your vagina. So I think sometimes jumping from zero to 60, that's a hard place to go because we're expecting our body to kind of perform a certain way when we haven't really stretched or warmed up. And I, I use this analogy a lot. I'm like, if we're going to go out for a five mile jog, we don't just like put our shoes on and go. We should probably stretch, drink a little water, (laughs) warm our muscles up. And it's the same thing for your vagina. So I think that doing whatever feels, you know, comfortable for you, you can keep a bra on if you want. You can take a bra off if you feel more comfortable. You can keep lights on, lights off, whatever the case may be. But I also think kind of warming up the muscles and tissues. And so some ways are to start with some gentle, what I call foreplay. If you haven't, you know, had intercourse postpartum or if you experience pain, you know, have your partner insert a finger and just say, does that finger feel comfortable? Does that help with arousal? How's my lubrication? And kind of giving yourself some opportunities to check in. Some of the least, I want to say, penetrating positions are typically lying on your back or lying on your side. Sometimes some of the deeper positions as if you were on hands and knees or your partner's behind you can be a little bit more uncomfortable if you have discomfort. Mm. So thinking about ways that you can be relaxed, maybe put some pillows under your knees, definitely use a water-soluble lubricant. I like water-soluble because it absorbs really easily versus an oil-based or a silicone-based sometimes can hang out on the tissues a little bit longer and sometimes put folks at risk for infection if they do have some dryness or atrophy in the area. So I love a water-soluble lubricant. So bringing some of these things into the experience, I think, can be really helpful. And it may feel different because you're like, well, I've never had to use lube before. And now I feel like my vagina is different. And I'm like, it is different. So let's meet it where it's at. Right. And then get some information and see, you know, what can change. And and again, these things can change as you get further out from breastfeeding or lactating or birth. 
that you, your hormone levels can shift and change and you may have more natural lubrication. You may have more sexual desire and things like that. Yeah. I think that a challenge with a lot of moms that I speak to is that a lot of us are uncomfortable having these conversations, right? Uh, One of the questions that I actually had a little chuckle about, because I also asked my pelvic floor therapist this when I was given my exercises and stretches, was like one of the questions came in the poll, like, does anybody else have their partner help with their like massages and their exercises or like perinatal, not perinatal, what is the... Perineal massage. Thank you, yeah. Because I think as women, and I don't know, this is how I was raised, and maybe not everybody was raised this way, there is a lot of sort of shame associated with touching our own bodies, exploring our own bodies, having some like agency over our bodies and having conversations about it. So it can feel really uncomfortable sometimes to take some, I don't know if it's control or to even just communicate out loud our needs in this way can feel really uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of women. I think you're pretty, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I think that it's interesting because I was raised in an Asian household, which, you know, typically they're very private. There's not a long conversation about intimacy or your body or anything like this. And so it's really interesting that I kind of ended up in this field where like vagina, poop, you know, penis. I mean, these are like dinner table conversations. And my husband's like, that's enough, Sarah. You know, like, but it is. So- I have three <laughs> boys and this sounds like my dinner exactly. time conversations. I but- <laughs> and I'm like, okay, put your clothes on at the table, you know, but it's really, I think some of it is practice. You know, some of it is how are we, and I think about the long-term ripple effect of this is how are we supposed to educate the next generation of youth of individuals if we're not educated ourselves. It's okay if it feels funny. It's okay if it feels awkward. But I always say you've just got to start somewhere. And so that's why I think actually we have so many patients who come in or women that I meet with and they're like, I've never told anybody this before. And it's just, I think, so empowering and freeing to have a safe space where you can talk about intimate issues some partners of theirs don't even know they experience these. Yeah. Sometimes we have them order things to the clinic so that they don't arrive at their home and just really kind of helping them comfortably navigate this course of connection and understanding and rehab. It's a gradual process, but I think the more we say it, the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we may get. And then to your point about perineal massage, you know, I'm very comfortable with my body and just over the course of being in this field and having children and breastfeeding and all of these things. But, you know, I had my husband work with me on perineal massage when I was pregnant with my first son. And he did it once or twice. And he was like, I don't really like this. And I was like, you know, I don't really like it either. (laughs) We just, I was like, I'm just going to do it myself now. And so It's again, like one of those things where we're both pretty comfortable with my body and it's okay to kind of find what your threshold is and say, this is kind of where I am. Yes. Yeah. And that's again, different for everyone. Exactly. And I think that just an openness to share about it and to talk about it, whether it's with your provider and working up to your partner, your partner first, and then your provider, like whatever that starts to look like. And I think about this in terms of, again, things that might assist in orgasm or sex. And I don't know if this is a part of what you talk about with patients or clients. Things like external vibrators or things that help along with arousal and desire for partners so that, especially if we don't have the time to maybe 
like stretch and warm up and have the foreplay because there is little babe or whatever, like what can make that experience mutually enjoyable for both of you if it has to be faster or we're sneaking in times if it's comfortable and if everybody, you know, if there's some communication around that and everybody feels comfortable. I love that you brought that up because we don't talk a lot about the use of vibrators or other tools. And I think that they can be a really important piece here. And again, to kind of go back to the analogy of running a race, I always tell people like, it's okay to practice on your own. If you want to like, if you haven't had your first orgasm postpartum, or can you have one, or it's difficult to have one with your partner, or can you try some self-stimulation? Can you use a vibrator? And and I always say it's like the training thing, like maybe you need to go out and go on a couple practice runs before you run the marathon, yeah. you know? And so it's the same thing, like it's okay to practice on your own and give people that permission and help them explore tools or whatever so that when it comes to sexual intimacy, they may feel more comfortable introducing something new or feeling a little bit more confident. Yeah. Because even when I think about anxiety and tension and what I know about how we hold tension in our muscles and our vagina being a muscle, (laughs) you know, like how we can just be really tense out of bracing and anxiety and just, you know, all of these different pieces, being able to, whether it's practice by yourself or find ways to ease yourself into it so that you are more relaxed, Right. right? Are there ways that you work with moms in terms of relaxing specifically? Because I'm sure that there is a lot of clenching and a lot of bracing that goes on for moms. Right. And this is so uh, such an important piece to bring up because even postpartum, we think we've got to do Kegels, Kegels, Kegels. But we see so many women in our practice that have tension. And if I think about myself even, I mean, you're exhausted, your body is spent, you're maybe back to work, all of these things like our bodies hold on to tension. And just like your pelvic floor and your vaginal walls, those are muscles that can also have tension. Some of the very basic things we start with, and it sounds so simple, but it's really teaching people how to breathe to help relax their pelvic floor. So your pelvic floor sits at the base of your pelvis like a hammock, but at the very top of your abdominal cavity is your diaphragm. So that diaphragm kind of goes down and up as you breathe. But if we're really stuck in our pelvic floor and that diaphragm is kind of trying to push down as we breathe, you don't get a lot of relaxation in the pelvic floor. So we see those people do a lot of chest breathing. Their abdomen's not moving, they're breathing in their chest. So we teach them how to kind of place their hands on their ribs and just take some big, really deep rib opening breaths to help the diaphragm go down and then help the pelvic floor go down. And that is just a really natural way to help the muscles relax. And, you know, you can do that while you are breastfeeding or lactating. You can do that while you're waiting in carpool lane. I mean, I do it sometimes if I just need to come into my bedroom and check out for my kids because I'm totally overloaded and I just start taking some of those really big breaths. And that over time can help release tension just from quieting our physiological response. The other thing we do is we teach people a lot of stretches, which are really yoga-based stretches. Getting into the squatting position helps relax your pelvic floor. So if you follow me on Instagram, I always talk about this little stool you can put under your (laughs) toilet to help you poop because the poop stool, it puts your hips in a squatting position and that helps relax your pelvic floor to better empty during bowel movements. If we think about when we see mothers give birth, they have their knees up towards their chest because that puts their hips in a squatting position to relax their pelvic floor. 
So it's the same thing with tension. If you do some, you know, needed chest stretches or child's pose or happy baby pose, those are all positions that really help relax the hips and relax the pelvic floor to get out of it that tight, tense state and into a more relaxed state. Mm-hmm. And then we also do internally, like internal pelvic floor. I'll just use the word massage because it's a pretty generic term, but we may call it trigger point release or myofascial release. But if there are tender spots in the muscles, we actually insert our finger into our patient's vagina and press on the side walls. And if we find tender spots, we hold that pressure as they breathe or maybe stretch to help relax the muscles. Just like if you had knots in your shoulder and a massage therapist kind of put pressure on those to release them, it's the same thing in the pelvic floor. And then we can teach them to do that at home with their partner or with a a home device. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more we practice these things, actually, no, I don't think, I know. The more that we practice these things and the more we put ourselves outside of our initial discomfort to do it, the more comfortable we become and the more confident we become. And I can think about the first time I went for pelvic floor physio feeling totally like, oh my gosh, this person's going to like touch me and they're going to check me out. I don't even think I'd had my first child yet. And then to like three children later and how many people have poked around in my vagina at this point. So I'm like chit chatting with my pelvic floor physio and she's like doing all the massaging all up in my vagina. And I'm like, you know, we get more confident and comfortable the more we talk about these topics because there shouldn't be shame around our health. Like these are topics that are important for our recovery and for our like incontinence and our quality of life and our sexual intimacy. And the more we practice having these conversations, the better we'll get at having them. Right. And I think that when we talk about them, this is how we learn. Like if you share with a friend that, oh, I'm actually having pain with sex, they may say, oh, there's actually help for that. You can go see this person. You can try these things. And so, I mean, I totally get these are intimate parts of our body. And we don't always want to talk about every time we pee or poop our pants or can't be intimate with our partner. I get that more than anybody. And I've had my own experiences with it. And I go to a pelvic floor therapist myself, someone in my practice when I have issues. But I also think that we don't deserve to live in pain or discomfort or with a lower quality of life because of the fact that we had children. Like, I just don't think that that's fair. Right. And I'm like, we went through all of this to grow our families and to have these beautiful children. And there are so many things that go along with it. But to me, I'm like, I want to feel good. I want to have enjoyable sex. I want to be able to run with my kids at the park. And I just feel like we deserve to be able to have those experiences that are enjoyable instead of feeling like we have to kind of suffer in silence and just deal with them. Well, and I think that's kind of the mentality that's been handed down to us, right? Like generations before us who maybe weren't involved in going to physio or where incontinence is sort of sold to us as like a normal thing after childbirth. And so to realize that like this isn't a burden that we have to bear just because we became moms. Like, no, we don't have to struggle with incontinence or no, sex doesn't have to be uncomfortable forever. You know, these types of things. It's empowering and it's important for us to be having these conversations. No, I agree. And it's just linked to everything. I mean, I think it's linked to if you can't run because you pee, well, that's so important for your mental health for some people and so important for them to feel like they're getting back to their 
life or fitness or just, I know for me, it's huge stress relief. And, you know, we see the links between maybe painful intercourse and intimacy and partner relationships or, you know, incontinence and depression. So all of these things are so linked. And I think just, again, having these conversations, being able to listen and for people to know they're not alone, that so many people experience this, I think can be really helpful. So you had said that no amount of pain is normal. Can we unpack that? Because I'm like, no, no amount of pain. What does that mean? What does that look like? When should I be getting intervention, you know, if I'm having painful sex and things like that? So can we explore that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, I stand by that in a sense from even someone who's had occasional pain within the course. I'm like, okay, in my head, I'm like, it's this muscle. And it's because I've been doing a lot of Peloton and I need to do this release. I mean, I can really <laughs> like, I mean, I have to unpack that in my own body and my own life. But pain gives us information and, you know, it gives us information that "Hmm, something's going on here. Let's address it. Mm. And if you try it again and maybe it's not painful, it could have just been a one-off. Right. But typically what happens is you continue to experience pain and then that causes more muscle tension because your body's anticipating pain. And now that muscle tension causes more discomfort. Yes. And then you get stuck in this cycle of like pain and then anxiety of anticipation and then muscle tension and then more pain. Right. So it's like, where do we break that cycle? And this is what we see in a lot of patients who have something called vaginismus, which is by definition, a muscle spasm of the vagina where it feels like something can't enter the vagina. If it's a tampon or a pelvic speculum or a penis or a dildo, it feels like they're hitting a wall because the muscles are tense. Mm -hmm. So, and they get in that cycle. So from a pelvic PT perspective, we're like, well, let's start with the muscles. We kind of want to start exposing someone to touch or sensation that is not painful, that does not evoke a painful response, that does not evoke muscle tension so that they can start relaxing into that process and have more, not just maybe start with pain-free or tolerable, but then progress to enjoyable and pleasurable. So again, I always think about like, you know, pain gives us information. Mm. It's easy for me to say, check in with a pelvic PT. There's a lot of barriers to that. Mm -hmm. I have a little online webinar about painful sex because it is hands down one of the most common complaints that we get from women all across the lifespan, not just moms. But it really walks through how can you kind of start working on these muscles from a physical perspective to soften and relax them so that that pain does not persist. Okay. So the tightness or like the muscle cramping or the vaginismus is one part. And then I think about clients that I've worked with who have had really extensive like tearing or scar tissue. So there's probably a fear there, one like that anxiety piece and that clenching that comes along with that. And then I'm sure that there are other maybe like soreness or numbness or other pieces to dealing with third and fourth degree tears or tears, generally speaking? Mm-hmm. So a perineal tear is typically when there's a tear can be anywhere from the size of a paper cut all the way to a tear that goes from the vaginal opening to the anal opening. Yeah. And that's a smaller percentage of people who have that larger degree tear, which is typically a third or fourth degree tear. Yeah. The majority of individuals do have some sort of tear, which is amazing that you and I are talking about this and neither of us had tears in the first couple of births because it's really a very small percentage. But we focus a lot again on perineal massage during pregnancy, but that same massage can be performed postpartum. And again, it gives us information. So, I mean, you can use your thumb if you're trying to do it on yourself. I have people lie in bed with pillows under their knees, a little bit of lubricant on their thumb, and just kind of press at the vaginal opening once the scar is considered completely healed. And feel, does that feel tender? Does it feel burny? Does it feel totally fine? 
and kind of apply a little bit of pressure all along the lower half of the vaginal opening. So if we think of the vaginal opening like a clock, we have 12 at the top where the urethra is kind of sits and mm -hmm. six at the bottom towards the anal opening. I like to tell people to stay between the three to nine o'clock range, you know, the pad of their finger into the vaginal opening and just putting pressure. And then if they do have some tenderness, you hold that pressure, you breathe into it, and then you can kind of start to sweep your finger across to soften the tissues, just as you would have done pre-pregnancy and now doing it for scar rehabilitation. Okay. Another thing I think to bring up is moms who don't have a vaginal birth and they have a cesarean birth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of individuals who have a cesarean birth also experience painful intercourse. Mm. And there's such a connection between the abdominal fascia and the pelvic floor fascia that actually women who have a cesarean birth are more likely to experience painful intercourse than those who have a vaginal birth, which is pretty mind-blowing. Mm. So working on the cesarean scar, doing some gentle tissue massage around the scar, on the scar, working with the pelvic floor PT, also a great way to help relax those tissues and muscles to help bring better blood flow and more relaxation to the muscles. Okay, really interesting. And would those massages typically be done like before intercourse, because like, I think about any type of massage I've done, including pelvic floor massages, and there's usually some tenderness after the fact. So is that something that you would do like before intimacy or you would do it sort of before bed at a different time? I mean, I tell people typically we have them come into the clinic or we do virtual sessions with them and we educate them or they watch our little webinars and we kind of educate them to just do it independently at first. Okay. So just, you know, maybe practicing every two to three days, depending on the amount of tenderness they have. But I would say if you get into the practice of every other day and, and the tissues start to feel softer, um, less tender, more comfortable, you can do it prior to intercourse. It's not necessary, but I would say you'd want to practice it a few times until it becomes more comfortable on your own and then, or with a partner and then progress towards kind of insertional intercourse. Yeah, to kind of know how tender it might be or right. how you will feel and, and work towards that. Right. Okay. Really interesting. And I think about also the breathing exercises that you guys teach in terms of like relaxing that pelvic floor for like starting intercourse and things like yes. that too, right? Like breathing. Uh, my, my pelvic floor physio is like, you breathe to like open the pedals, like you're opening and you're like envisioning, like trying to like release and open your vagina, which actually really helps to visualize it when you're taught how to do it. So that you can really make that mind-body connection to like letting go of those muscles a little bit and being in a mindset where, you know, you can try your best to relax and have communication with your partner about them easing into it and things like that. Or like you said, starting with like a finger or maybe like a vibrator or dildo or something else at first that feels comfortable. Or... Yeah. And that you have kind of control over, you know, that you can kind of maneuver and manipulate to what your comfort level is. And then sometimes depending on the person, I say, you know, use that same device or tool or massage and then bring your partner into the room mm. because just having other person in the room changes our comfort levels, maybe makes us tense up a little more. We don't breathe as deeply and we forget to breathe and then having your partner do it to you so that you are not kind of in control, but it's not necessarily insertional intercourse. So, you know, kind of, again, taking these gradual steps to go from zero to 60 instead of just trying to get all the way to the finish line without kind of doing any warm up or, or the whole process. Yeah. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about before about how we are building a new emotional and like intimate relationship together. We're building a new foundation now. Like this is not 
a race back to what it was. And I think that there's a lot of shame associated when we become moms and we get into this postpartum period and our desire does take a nosedive where maybe it was on par with our partners before. Maybe we were equally matched in desire and it can feel alarming when our desire really kind of hits ground floor and our partners is sustained and then we feel this tension But there are ways to increase our desire or there are ways to ride out this temporary time in postpartum when our desire is just not going to be where it was before. That doesn't mean that we're not going to get back there. It doesn't mean that we're not going to find our mojo again. And usually when I'm working with clients, it's around the like when we wean breastfeeding or around the 12 month mark when baby is consistently starting to sleep through the night and you're regaining a little bit of your freedom and you start to like find that mojo again, you can get there and reclaim being more like equally matched in desire. But for the time being, we're all in a transition and it makes sense that it's going to take a little bit of extra effort or some communication on our part to navigate this mismatch that happens for a time. And I think that when we're first time moms and when we're first in it, we think like, oh my gosh, is this what it's going to look like forever? right? Are we like never going to have sex again? Are we never going to get a date night again? Are we never going to have this time together again? But as you go through the seasons, you realize how much they do ebb and flow and they do change. And with some intentional effort between the two of you, you can really find that stride again. It just takes some time and some communication and teamwork together to, to get to that place. Right. And it does take effort. I mean, this is one of the things is that it is really easy, especially with even pelvic floor issues to kind of just like, I'll deal with that later. Right. And I get that. I mean, I think for me, it's like you have to kind of have that space in your life to go to therapy or to do self massage or to, you know, explore what's going on with your body. But it's like anything else, you kind of have to start carving it out. You realize like the space isn't going to show up. Yes. It's like we kind of have to make it. Yes. And so that goes the same way with pelvic floor issues is that you know, I always think we need to meet people where they are, but sometimes I also have to kind of lead them to the water. (laughs) Yes. This will help. It will get better. And then, so it does take some effort. And I've also had moms who feel really frustrated. Like, why do I have to deal with this? I had the baby and now I'm stuck with this. And and it is something that I think, you know, as a first time mom, we don't realize what the other side will look like until they're there. And it can be really scary and overwhelming. But again, it is all temporary. Yeah. And there are seasons, but it does take some effort. I mean, even now my kids are four and six and I have to kind of be mindful of like, this does take effort to connect with my partner. It does take effort. I could go to bed and choose that option every night, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I have to like make the effort. <laughs> yeah. So in the workshop that we do, we have this really interesting inventory, this worksheet that rates your desire and it goes by like frequency. How frequently do you think about like intimacy with your partner? And then it talks about like how likely are you to act on those thoughts and you do an inventory and your partner does an inventory and you guys kind of like compare in terms of the desire and like the intensity of the desire and the likelihood to act on the desire. And the reality is, I think, for a lot of moms with the invisible load and mental load that we carry, and because our desire is so wrapped up in emotional and psychological safety and trust and these other pieces that go beyond just the physical, not always, because moms can sometimes be the higher desire partner. And that is very, you know, it's like when we did our survey, it was about like 20% of moms, I think, are the higher desire partner. But for the majority, they are the lower desire and there is a real intentional effort. 
And I think about after my first baby, how different my body felt and the things that were maybe like accelerators in an emotional experience beforehand really pumped the brakes after the baby and were things that really killed the mood, like nursing and stimulating nipples and then milk wanting to come out. Like things where your body changes and your accelerators change and your brakes change and the things that feel good and the things that don't feel good. And so we're left sort of navigating this time and it does require some safety and security and vulnerability with our partner to be able to communicate these things. And like you said, intention, when we can get out of this newborn fog a little bit to carve out some time and energy towards this, some intention to explore and figure out what those things are. Right. 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 And it can be so different. I mean, for some people, like if I exercise, I feel great. And I kind of forget like, oh, this skin is here and this nipple goes this way now. And it's like, you kind of, so it's like you, you just, it it helps me feel good in my body. And so that helps me sleep better. And then that helps me feel more joyful the next day and less angry. And then I have more intimacy with my partner. So it's, it's this whole cycle. But again, I mean, I'm further out postpartum than a lot of new moms, but if I kind of put myself back to where that I was. I mean, it's, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult time. And the things that would turn me on were like when my husband would bring me a glass of water when I was pumping or breastfeeding. I'm like, oh, I couldn't love you more right now. Right. And so it's like the things that are, you know, appealing and attractive and, and a kind of a turn on now are very different than I would say totally. six years ago before we had kids. <laughs> and so it's, it's just about finding those new things and even communicating to him of, hey, these are the things that are really meaningful for me. You know, it's not, that's where going from zero to 60 is really difficult. Like how do we, we always say keep our cups full. How do we keep our cups full so that, you know, when something egregious happens, they're not completely in drought already, but also that they're kind of have the opportunity to overflow at some point. And we do have more intimacy and we do find one another more attractive and we want to have sex. It doesn't feel like a chore necessarily. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or when I'm like, covered and spit up and like milky leaky boobs and hair hasn't been washed for three days and my husband's like oh you know like compliments me in some way I'm like you probably don't really believe that right now but I'll take it and you're really cute like you know like (laughs) 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 that just won you some brownie points I feel really drawn to you right now you know um so yes it's it it does it ebbs and flows and it changes And how confusing for our partners who may not know that if we're not communicating it, right? Like if we can't have these conversations, if I feel caught off guard that my needs have changed or my like what my brakes and my accelerators and what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And I'm like, whoa, this is totally different. Without that communication to our partner, they're really just kind of taking a stab at what's going to work and what's not going to work because there hasn't been any real vulnerable conversation about it. So I really appreciate this conversation today. And I do feel like there's sort of these two pieces here. Asherina and I have this relationship bundle that is first part focuses on resentment. And the second part focuses on restoring connection and intimacy and navigating physical intimacy after baby from this more emotional desire perspective. So we'll link that in the show notes so that you guys can find it. But then where can people find your courses and your information online if they're really struggling with all of these various pieces we've talked about today? No, absolutely. So um, my website is thevaginawhisper.com. And we have several online courses on there, everything from 
recovery, early recovery from postpartum, for cesarean birth, vaginal birth. If you are experiencing painful intercourse, we have a course on specifically that. And then just general pelvic floor muscle tension, which I think a lot of people have. And they're like, how do I even know if I have tension and what do I do for it? Yes. And then we also have a team of PTs who do one-on-one virtual sessions as well if somebody does want to have a more kind of in-depth conversation. But I'm more present on Instagram as the vagina whisper, the period vagina period whisper, because there's another vagina whisper out there too. So. Okay. <laughs> I am fully regretting us not dressing up. I'm known for throwing some confetti, usually not on podcasts, usually in our workshops from time to time. Confetti is like a real staple around here. And I'm really regretting that you're not wearing your vagina costume oh, right now for this conversation. I could have. <laughs> it's hanging in my closet. That um, would have made my whole life. Maybe we'll have to do a take two one day where we're we'll like, I'm throwing confetti in And I'll just show up in it and just really shock you. So. Oh, my gosh. I love it so much. Next time, I will mark it down in my mind. Next time we hang out, there will be confetti and vagina costume. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. We'll link all of this stuff in the show notes for everybody. And I really appreciate the way that you are empowering women in their health and like birthing people and pelvic floor health, really necessary work. And you're normalizing these conversations for people. It's making such an impact. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for all of your wonderful work as well. Hey mamas, just dropping in with a little PS to let you know that because we've spoken so much about the intimacy workshop today in this episode, Dr. Asherina Reem and I are going to bring that workshop back online so that you can purchase the replay. In this workshop, we go through the different types of intimacy, understanding the barriers to intimacy, your breaks and your accelerators in physical intimacy, ways to cultivate more emotional connection in your relationships, and talk a lot about desire and arousal, how to improve your desire. So many important and key pieces to physical intimacy in the postpartum period. So if you're wanting to learn more about that, you can head to happyasamother.co slash shop and find the intimacy workshop there. That's happyasamother.co slash shop. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all. 
and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.